Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Euronurse. We meet every Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you not from my home. I'm in Florida, sunny Florida, so welcome to the show everywhere we can take it on the road. Glad to be here. Hey, if you're watching us on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, welcome to the show. And great announcement. We did it. We hit the 1,000 mark on YouTube. So now what's that mean? It means I become a YouTube creator. So it's got some other things that opens up for me to be able to do on YouTube. Um, but thanks for everybody for subscribing. We got to that number a lot faster than I ever thought we would, but it's uh, been great. So glad that we do it. Hey, but keep subscribing. I think there's other things that can occur as that number goes up. Also want to make an announcement. So we're now going to be on X. We're going live to Twitter. So whether you call it Twitter or X, I don't know. It's called X to me now. But we're going to actually be streaming this episode going live on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, you'll be able to watch it. And you can watch it on demand at any time on Twitter also. And last week I said we're going to try to go to Instagram. We did try, but we failed. So it will be on Instagram today. I did check it. The feed is working. The um, Instagram is the only one that you doesn't keep a, a feed for later. So you can't watch it on demand for Instagram. But you can go to our website and you'll be able to watch it in whatever your favorite format is and see us there. Also, I'd like to thank our, our sponsors that made this show possible. And I would like to get a shout out to the Glido folks, Sage and Pharmacal, who just renewed for a second year and went up to a gold sponsor. So, hey, thanks a lot for doing that. Also, if you're watching us and you want to hit the comment box, again, everything except for Instagram, um, it doesn't work on there, but all the other comment boxes should be live and we can see them on the show. So feel free to use that. And if you're not getting the newsletter, I don't know what you're waiting for, but go ahead and hit our, our newsletter up on our website to get that. First time here. Great. Glad to have you here. Be sure to check out Euronurse.com to learn more about the show. And it's also the best place to go to find all of our past episodes. And boy, we got 71 of those past episodes. Also, Want to listen in your car? I just took a two-day car ride getting here to Florida. So I had plenty of time to listen to my podcast. But you can go to the Euronurse Plus area, sign up for any of your favorite uh, formats, and listen to us in your car. It sounds great. So let's uh, bring in our experts here. I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Got, got everybody on, so that works out good. Uh, doing this remotely, it's always a little bit of a challenge, but at least driving, I was able to go ahead and bring in my uh, big computer with me. So some of the other equipment's still back home, but I'm I'm working with it. This pretty, seems pretty good. That's why the background's different. So uh, we're going to do a little different introduction, but I'm going to st uh, start out with my introduction. But what we're going to do is I've got a question for the audience this time. So, whoops, I bring that up here. So that's what our question will be instead of a makeup one. Um, so anyway, I'm Vic Sinise. I'm the host and producer of the show. Been in urology for 40 years and loving every minute of Euronurse. Now, my favorite Christmas story is actually going to be this one that's being created right now. Christmas has always been about family for me. So getting together with the family, we've got a big family. And in the years past, we've had uh, personally hosted the, the, new, the Christmas Eve party at my house. And I had a huge house, so it was good to do that in. Um, but we've had like 70, 80 people over for Christmas Eve. It's always been great. But now 
a lot of the family has moved. And I think this is pretty common for a lot of us that family has gone everywhere. So this year I decided I'm going to go to Christmas because my oldest son lives in Florida. Go to Florida for Christmas. Six of the grandkids are down here. So I thought we'll just try that out. Well, it turns out that not only is my son out here, my daughter's coming up. They're driving down, I guess. I always get it wrong. And I also found out that my siblings, I'm the oldest of five, four of us are all in Florida together. So we're going to be getting together, all of us together tomorrow as a big family. And a lot of the nieces and nephews are there. Um, and I think that's why there was so much traffic coming in. It was just the Sinise family coming in for Florida. So it was really neat, but uh, that's my favorite story. All right, Andrea, go ahead and do your introduction. Good morning. My name is Andrea Strong. I'm a nurse practitioner in Wisconsin. I'm also the educational director for the Chicago Metro SUNA chapter. I'm on the board of directors for National SUNA, and I'm certified as a urology registered nurse. And I'm also coming to you uh, remote from Chicago. So we're visiting family here for the holidays. Uh, my two nieces are here, and I'm so excited to see them. Um, favorite Christmas story? Well, mine's a little bit urology related. So last year, a patient came in, and I don't remember what year this SNL skit was from. Maybe someone does, but the sweaty balls <laughs> on SNL. <laughs> it's a classic. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. So he comes in, and he's wearing a sweaty balls Christmas sweater. And I started laughing. I was just cracking up. And he said, I knew it. I knew it. My wife said, you cannot wear that sweaty ball sweatshirt to the doctor's office. And he said, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Because it's urology office. It's urology office. And he was absolutely right. He could wear that sweater to our office. Everybody loved it. He was the star of the show. <laughs> That's a great story. Favorite Christmas stories as it pertains to urology. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have well, you always. Let's, let's start with the favorite Christmas story. Uh, many of you know that I'm an immigrant, so I came to the States. We did not really do this Christmas celebration thing. So I, I remember vividly, I was invited to a Christmas gathering, Christmas Day, actually. And I was dating someone way too young for me. But anyway, I went to her family's Christmas Day celebration, Christmas Day opening of the presents. And at that time, I had no idea that's what people did. Everyone sat around and he went around and opened presents in sequential order. I had never done that. And I was in my 30s. Hmm. So that was eye-opening for me. And now, of course, my kids do it. My family does it all the time. Everyone opens presents sequentially. Okay, the kids get one, the second kid gets one, the third kid gets one. I had no idea that was the case. That's what people did. So that was very interesting. And, and it, gave, it always reminds me that we have to be aware of where people came from because their cultures may be different. And we can't take for granted that because we, everyone else seems like they all do the same thing, that these other people who came from a different culture do the same thing. So we just have to be aware of, of that cultural difference and be sensitive to that, I guess. So. Yeah. A short introduction, private practice urologist, just a lowly urologist here in the Phoenix area. And what I do is try to help other urology practices achieve the economic and uh, practice efficiency that they deserve so they can live an easier and happier life. Yeah, absolutely. Great having you on board. 
So we're going to get on with our show here. Uh, really interesting show today. I think we did this, or I know we did this last year where I did this uh, hunt for old or new products that have come up in urology. So I really scanned the, the net and try to find everything I can. So I'm going to be sharing that with everybody today. So let's go ahead and bring in that slideshow. Um, should be fun. So we'll get your comments. Feel free anytime you have a question to put those through. But let's hit our new urology product review. And I'm going to start with this one. I, I kind of like this. It's a bioreactor, which is going to be kind of a, a mechanical kidney, so to speak. The latest advances in this form of implantable bioreactor that includes a type of kidney cell from the proximal tubule cell, which is used to regulate water levels as a proof of concept. So a bioreactor is designed to be directly connected to nearby blood vessels, allowing blood to flow through it. However, silicon membranes protect the kidney cells within from immune attack. So far, the device could support cell survival for at least seven days when bioreactors were implanted in pigs, suggesting that the technique could work when additional cell types are included. So the goal is to produce this as a um, kidney transplant. I've got a little clip on that. Kidney failure, which affects about 600,000 people in this country, is treated either by dialysis or better, if you can get one, is a kidney transplant. Unfortunately, less than 10% of the people that need a kidney transplant can get one. There's just not enough organs available. I'm Shuvo Roy. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Bioengineering and Therapeutic Sciences. This is our lab, and we are working on an implantable bioartificial kidney to free the patients from the burdens of dialysis, provide them an improved quality of life, and hopefully if we do this right, okay, we'll actually have something that's going to cost less than the current therapies today. Now we know that the technology to get there exists. We're taking that infrastructure that California has become famous for, and we're applying it in a way that's not been applied before for medicine. I try to communicate the excitement that we're taking semiconductor technology and applying it to medicine in an unprecedented way. So a current dialysis machine is the size of a refrigerator, and the key component in that is a dialysis cartridge. There's about two square meters of surface area. To get the same amount of filtration, we need 1 20th in the silicon filter. So we take these membranes, cut them into little squares. We test each of the individual membranes for how do they perform in terms of filtration. We challenge it with water and particles in the water that are very small. And we see how much water comes out and what particles come out. And Steve here is basically helping test the performance of this filter in a little cartridge. This information then gets fed back to the people that are helping us on membrane design or people who are helping us on surface modifications. Uh, we'd like to make sure that blood doesn't clot in silicon. So here I work with Zohora to basically take the membranes we have and we can coat them with special molecules that make them blood friendly. 3D printing is a big step in sort of helping us prototype. You can design different versions so we can look at it. Part of engineering is you've got to look and feel. Is the right size? Can a surgeon implant that? We're testing and optimizing each of those components individually. So make them as best as they can be and then eventually bring them together. So what we have here is the prototype model. This is fake blood. Coming out here is our fake urine. In practice, we won't need a pump because the silicon membranes are so efficient that our body's own blood pressure will be able to drive the filtration. I feel excited when you're making progress. When I hear from patients, when I hear from physicians, when I hear from students, when I hear from the other engineers that we can do this. Look at the impact. There's 600,000 people who have kidney failure in this country, 2 million worldwide. Less than 20,000 transplants are performed every year. 
And on the waiting list today, which is the sickest of the sick, there are almost 100,000 people. If we can deliver on this, we can provide an alternative therapy and a treatment option that doesn't exist today for the vast majority of people who are now forced to rely on dialysis. Pretty interesting. Uh, I, I, I was just surprised. I take it personally because my father was a renal transplant patient. He had renal failure and was lucky enough to get a kidney, but there was a couple of years that he was on dialysis and you know it was a big change in his life. But uh, anybody heard of that before? Yeah, I, I, no, it sounds understand. really exciting. And if they can make it in such a small package and eliminate the big dialysis machines that we're so used to seeing, boy, what it would be life changing. Possibly, you know, the thing is, I'm thinking, what if the patients can do that, do that themselves? If they can yeah. access the ports, I don't know, that may be the next step. And then after they use it, just simply dispose of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just mind blowing to think that they can come up with some of these things. So. All right, we'll get on to our next one. And this is on something called bacteriophage. Um, I remember this when I was back in college that they started talking about these phages, their viruses. Um, antibiotic resistance has complicated the treatment of many infections. Bacteriophages represents a completely different way to treat infections with these viruses displaying a specific, highly specific ability to target one type of bacterium, unlike antibiotics, which are, we know are broad, broad spectrum. Um, and as a bonus, there's a bioluminescent signal that these phages have been engineered to express so they can be in, uh, tell when they've encountered their actual target bacterial species. So kind of a, another like way to diagnose uh, infection. Um, again, I got a little film on that. Yeah, that one's almost scary. <laughs> uh, my next one is something called acoustic powered micro robots for, for bladder disease treatment. And what this is, is a delivery system. These things are tiny little propellers that can be made to move around uh, by uh, applying acoustic energy, sound waves, and they spin around dispensing a medication. In this particular study, they were using dexamethasone for people with uh, irritable bowel, um, irritable bladder syndrome, you know, the IC types uh, thing. Anyway. Institute for Intelligent Systems in Stuttgart have designed and fabricated an untethered micro robot that can slip along either a flat or curved surface in a liquid when exposed to ultrasound waves. Its propulsion force is two to three orders of magnitude stronger than the propulsion force of natural microorganisms, such as bacteria or algae. Additionally, it can transport cargo while swimming. The acoustically propelled robot has significant potential to revolutionize the future minimally invasive treatment of patients. That's crazy. I mean, I can imagine these things carrying, you know, cancer drugs and everything. So it's, it's really uh, uh, wild. Of course, AI has always been fascinating and we've talked about several different uses of AI, but AI is going to be getting into everything. And here's a prostate cancer um, use. The goal behind the system is to effectively treat the tumor, but preserve as much of the healthy tissue as possible, thereby maximizing patients' chances at retaining full urinary and sexual function. The ablation technology itself is laser-based, and the system is intended for use with just a local anesthetic and as an outpatient procedure in the clinician's office. And, uh, 
Prostate cancer affects one in eight men, but the challenge isn't just diagnosis. It's also about locating the cancer accurately for effective treatment and preservation of quality of life. Traditional MRI scans won't show you the whole picture, leaving doctors and patients in a difficult position. That's where Unfold AI steps in. Developed by Avenda Health and backed by over a decade of NIH-sponsored research at UCLA and validation from Stanford, Unfold AI is the first FDA-cleared cancer mapping and decision support tool specifically for prostate cancer. Our technology utilizes multimodal data, combining MRI, biopsy, pathology, biomarkers, and patient demographics. This comprehensive approach allows doctors to visualize accurately cancer within the prostate to make treatment decisions and deliver more precise care than ever before. Why is multimodal AI crucial? Just like humans rely on multiple senses to understand the world, our AI system uses multiple types of data to make complex decisions. This enables doctors to go beyond human limits in cancer care with the aim of reducing the risk of both overtreatment and undertreatment. The result? More accurate cancer margins, a higher likelihood of preserving critical structures, and ultimately, a better quality of life for patients. Unfold AI isn't just a product, it's a revolution in prostate cancer care. It's about giving doctors the tools they need to make the best decisions with their patients. It's about seeing beyond the image and choosing treatments that are right for you. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting to, to see what's coming up. An AI, can it replace a radiologist? So we've talked about that uh, AI kind of being one of these things that may take over different jobs. I think the surgeons got it pretty safe. Nurses, probably a lot of the hand-on jobs. But these things where you have to look at something like a, a film, a pathologist looking at cells, those things could be replaced. This is how a radiologist diagnoses pneumonia. 84-year-old female, shortness of breath period, frontal and lateral views of the chest period. This is an algorithm called ChexNet that's trained to do the exact same task. And this is how it performed against six doctors analyzing 50 chest x-rays for pneumonia in a recent test at Stanford. ChexNet is one of many projects exploring how artificial intelligence can take over tasks normally done by doctors. And it has some radiologists worried that AI could one day replace them. That's because algorithms are getting really good at interpreting images and diagnosing disease, sometimes with greater accuracy than humans. We'll take a picture of this x-ray. The model will then run and within a few seconds output it all these diseases and they're sorted by the order of most likely to least likely. ChexNet was given tens of thousands of images and told which ones have pneumonia and which don't. Then it trained itself to recognize patterns and identify pneumonia in new x-rays. This process is called deep learning. In 2016, computer scientist Jeffrey Hinton, also known as the godfather of deep learning, put radiologists on notice. People should stop training radiologists now. It's just completely obvious that within five years, um, deep learning is going to do better than radiologists. Hey, I'll throw this to the panel. What are your thoughts on AI replacing physicians in the future? You know, I'll start I, with John since he's a physician. Yeah, so I think about this all the time. So when it comes to cognitive stuff, AI depends on good, valid information. And sometimes it's difficult 
to get that information out of the patients. And, and I think it requires someone who thinks in the spot in front of the patient to ask the right questions. I'm not sure if AI is there yet and able to elicit these questions and to be able to read the patient about uncertainty, about mm, distrust and things like that. So I think that's still gonna require human to human interaction. But every single day, when I'm seeing patients, I'm thinking about how do I eliminate myself? How do I make myself to not have a job anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I perform the SWOT analysis in my practice every single day. And when it comes to performing vasectomies, I tell patients the hardest part of a vasectomy is not actually doing the procedure, but finding the vas deferens. Every scrotum is different. You can have obese patients with difficult scrotums, you can have an obese patient with an easy scrotum, the ability to feel and identify, isolate, and say that this is where I need to work, what I, what I need to work on, that is not gonna be replaceable by AI given current technology because there's, it requires feel. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think there are any good tactile sensors. And I don't know if I entrust my scrotum to a machine to, to smash at different intensities just to find the vas deferens, just to, to experiment with that. So. In, in that sense, doing vasectomies not going to be replaced by a, a robot anytime soon in my lifetime. But yeah. something else, cognitive sciences, when it comes to looking at radiographs, we're looking at skin lesions, looking at pathology, yes, they are definitely very much at risk. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree, John. And we have a comment here from Katie Bortel, and she agrees, John, on that. Um, from a nursing perspective, you know, there is something about human intuition, and I know we've all felt it before, we've talked about it, it's that nursing intuition. And I don't think that any AI can um, take over that aspect of things, but some things computers are better at doing than, than we are. And if that means that the patients are safer and the, the diagnoses are more accurate, then I'm all for that aspect of things. But in general, I don't think we're there yet with replacing, replacing yeah. our jobs. And I, and I don't think a computer can offer compassion, at least at this point, well, do a good job of it. Because I've seen where, you know, a patient will say, oh, that doctor is so great. And it's really because the doctor actually, you know, took the time to listen to the patient and explain things and cared. You know, we, I, I've been lucky to work with a, a great group of docs. And, you know, one, one guy in our group, I, I tell you, as a person to deal with as, a, as an employer, he was a real SOB, but the patients loved him because he cared. He, every patient was that important. He's, and he always said, he says, treat your patients like they're your family. Uh, hopefully you like your family though, right? <laughs> but that was his whole technique and it, it really showed through. And I think that's going to protect our jobs for a while. Who knows? And, right. for the, yeah, and for the docs and the, the nurses who take care of patients, Sometimes showing that care is very simple and it's very subtle. Yeah. For instance, one way to very easily show that compassion, the care that you're listening, a couple of things. Number one, sit down when you actually are in the exam room instead of standing, holding onto your tablet, your notebook computer. And secondly, that tablet and notebook computer is a barrier between you and the patient. That screen that you have up between you and the patient, it's a physical, literal barrier between you and the patient in order to communicate with the patient. That's why I don't see patients with a 
with a computer screen in front of me. I use a tablet, just like the old time charts. You have a tablet or a piece of paper or clipboard that you're just simply writing things down. So that's the way I do it. But a couple of different ways that you can easily bridge that gap between not caring or being seen as not caring versus a compassionate caring physician. Yeah. I and agree, even, John. Even and writing I down like what patients tell you during the uh, exam, you know, like, hey, I'm going to Florida to see my kids. You know, the next time you see the patient, he comes in and you say, hey, how was your trip to Florida? That, that's a big score for, for compassion. Mm -hmm. and, in, in, and you don't want, you, you want to, okay, this is something, <laughs> I'm coming in here tomorrow because I saw patients recently who, had, who are older patients, they're widows. And they have told me that they're going to be spending time during this season alone. And of course, it takes a little bit of probing because they'll bring up, oh, I lost my wife, et cetera. And I'll say, oh, do you have any family nearby? So what I did was I wrote down, not their names, but their patient numbers. So just to be compliant, I wrote it in a secure place. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in here tomorrow and I'm going to call them to... Wow. To, to tell them, hey, you know what, somebody's thinking about you because a lot of times, you know, I also see a lot of police officers and they tell me about the depression that happens around this time and the calls that they have to respond to. So yeah. it's not something that you can do that doesn't cost you anything, but it makes a big difference in a patient's life. Yeah, it good does. point. And I did just see some research. We're getting a little off topic here, but I think that's, that's all right. Okay. That's <laughs> I did just see um, some research that indicated that loneliness is a um, greater risk for mortality than smoking cigarettes. So it's it's really significant and um, and heartbreaking at times. I think it's wonderful that you're going to reach out to your patients. You can have all the AI innovation, but then you also need to come back to the basics of just interacting with patients' compassion. Also, AI is not going to be able to, so far as as far as I know, AI is not going to be able to pick up pheromones that are released by humans that yeah. Andrea said the, the gut instinct, the sixth sense. Well, I think a lot of that sixth sense is from being physically close to the patient and you are picking up the vibe, if you will, yeah, from the patient, the, the hormones that we naturally, naturally release that is picked up by another person. Yeah. So that's, oh, not, great, yeah, that's not going to happen great, yet. Great with discussion. And, and it's kind of how I decided to do the, the talk was to break in and bring you guys up throughout. So, don't mind being uh, open with, with suggestions. I think this is where we all kind of learn more. That's why you guys are the experts. <laughs> all right. My next thing here is, hey, got one of these myself, the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch, um, and whatever monitor you're using. I think this is going to be another big step towards early detection of medical problems. Number one, patient monitoring. AI-powered wearable devices are the future of healthcare. They utilize a combination of sensors, data collection, and advanced algorithms to continuously monitor patients' vital signs. These devices are typically worn on the body and can measure various parameters, including heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, and activity levels. One notable example is the Zeo patch by iRhythm, which is specifically designed for monitoring heart rhythms. The patch contains built-in electrodes that capture the electrical activity of the heart. The collected data is then processed and analyzed using AI algorithms. These algorithms are trained on vast amounts of data and employ machine learning and pattern recognition techniques to identify irregularities in the heart's electrical signals. When the AI algorithms detect a potential cardiac arrhythmia, the wearable device sends alerts or notifications to healthcare providers. 
This real-time information allows for prompt intervention and appropriate care. The benefit of AI wearable devices lies in their ability to provide continuous monitoring outside of the traditional bedside setting, enhancing patient safety and outcomes. Furthermore, the AI algorithms continually learn and improve over time as they're exposed to more data. This iterative learning process enhances the accuracy and efficiency of arrhythmia detection, reducing false positives and false negatives. Additionally, these devices can collect additional contextual data, such as activity levels, sleep patterns, and environmental factors, providing a more comprehensive understanding of the patient's overall health. Yeah, it's, I think this is really going to be huge as these algorithms start to learn more and more about us. They get more data. They'll be able to detect things far quicker than what we've ever detected before. Hey, we talked about doctors losing their jobs. How about nurses? Yep, they're looking at robotics to replace a lot of the tasks. Now, I don't think, again, the, the nurses probably have to worry, but the, some of the assistants, floor assistants that were doing a lot of the uh, task type orientation things, you might be out of a job someday. We created Moxie to support healthcare workers in dynamic and ever-evolving clinical environments. Moxie is a mobile manipulation robot that moves seamlessly and safely to perform a large variety of useful tasks. Moxie fetches and delivers crucial yet routine items within clinical environments like lab samples, medication, PPE, and so many other things that clinicians often find themselves running around to grab for their patients. Moxie can even navigate secure entrances, elevators, and automatic doors. Designing Moxie has been an incredible experience for our team. Seeing the work Moxie does in hospitals drives us to continually push to advance our AI and manipulation technology. What do you guys think? You want to see one of these running around your hospital? I think, I think it needs to move a little bit faster if it's going to be running to get me a supply in an emergency situation. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know about for use in an emergency, but certainly for mundane tasks and delivering specimen, things like that. I'm not sure if it'll it'll deliver anything that may harm the patient, such as drugs. Right. right. I, I don't think the Pixis is going to go away, <laughs> uh, but maybe they can design the robot so that they have individual compartments and once it reaches the destination verifies the identity of the of the person interacting with moxie mm -hmm. then it'll open up the correct drawer yeah maybe true. i'm sure they're they're looking at all these different techniques but uh, i think a lot of like delivery of specimens and things like that that typically where I, I can remember i started out as an orderly and one of the jobs i would have to do is run down to central supply to get supplies i mean it was just a lot of useless running back and forth. Oh, I started as a volunteer. That is, that is all electronic now, but you know, imagine mundane tasks and manual tasks like that. You yeah. can, or, or somebody in the ER needing an, an 18 French coude catheter or 22 French coude catheter. Yep. Right. So, you can send Moxie to go down to the OR, grab it, and then bring it right back to you in the ER while you attend to another patient. Yeah, so it'll have a use. All right, now this is my favorite one that I found, and it doesn't exist in America. It's called the Sheelin catheter. It's for giving a local block to the prostate without having to go transrectally. So watch this one here. Um, like I said, this blew me away because we do a lot of resumes and Eurolifts. So you just do 
standard technique for putting in a Foley catheter. Put your balloon in, and it's got an injection syringe built right, or injection port right into it. You can drain the bladder through it. And like I said, Eurolifts, uh, resumes, those type of things are ideal. Whatever you want to inject into it, you can see how this works. It's got, um, you can decide where you want to inject. You go in there, you stick one needle stick through it, inject, pull back to the next line, inject again couple cc's pull back to the next lines you're giving three injections through the same site unlike when you do transrectally where you're probably going multiple sticks again you just switch over here they're going to that four o'clock position go in deep inject pull back a little bit another two cc's inject pull back a little bit another two cc's inject and then finally, you see that big line, you know you're safe to move it to go to your other injection sites up here at the 11 and 1 o'clock zones. There they just give two injections, one on that side, one on the other side. And there we go. Boy, I, I have so many concerns with that. <laughs> well, I, that's why I put this thing out there because I'm thinking, you know, trans. first of all, getting out of the, out of the rectum, that's great. Um, you don't have to put somebody through a, a transrectal ultrasound to do the local block. Um, everything's done transurethrally. So go ahead, John. Oh, I, I, I hope somebody's aspirating first before injecting, right? It's, it, it's unlikely that you're going to be yeah. injecting directly into a vessel, going transurethral injection into the prostate. Also, how do you know how much to, st to stick in? Obviously, hopefully, you've done a transrectal ultrasound so you know how big that prostate is because mm -hmm. I'm doing minimally invasive surgical treatments on varying size prostate, something, sometimes even under 20 grams. So you, you have to know how large that prostate is, also how long that needle is sticking out. I also worry, you know, you, you, you've done all done this before. You think that the coude is going in one orientation, but then what you do out here may not correlate with what's happening at the distal end. Yeah. So how do you know when you turn here that the needle is actually going at the one o'clock position or three o'clock position? So those are some of the concerns. Anyway, good idea. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to take this opportunity to highlight some of our comments here. Sure. Um, so Katie said, AI will augment the diagnosis effectiveness. Mm -hmm. um, Charlene said, greetings from Springfield, Illinois. Hey, Charlene. And, uh, a Merry Christmas from Taiwan. It's oh, wow. 1130 what? p.m. there. So good evening and Merry Christmas. <laughs> it kind that of blows awesome. me away. Yeah. At, at the, the reach of this show. The number of countries we'll talk about that next week at our show is what we're getting out to in some some of the different countries but hey thanks for that it's uh, it's, right. it's it's interesting because i just did a video it's it's going up on um it's going up on uh, youtube soon I, I just did a video in the thriving urology practice facebook group using one of the idioms from taiwan and and it goes something like this so what that means is somebody's taking his or her pants off just to pass gas, and 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 the and the and the trans the, the analogy is that you're doing things inefficiently. You're you're making more work than you need to to yep. accomplish a task. Yeah. Anyway, welcome uh, Taiwan, our, our multicultural, multi-country program. All right. This next thing is a uh, I I just was going through again. 
we always talk about these biofilms and the how they prevent us from treating infections because of them. So there's some research going on where they're finding plants in Africa called the Gisho plant that actually has a um, ability to break down these biofilms. So I'm interested in watching this research uh, develop and see, because I think that's going to have a lot of uh, utilization for urology for sure. And... Next, I'm going to sw switch over to what things we've done in Euronurse with new inventions that have been brought to light. So I thought it might be fun to share some of those real quick with everyone. In episode 35, we had the WellSpec uh, group come in here with something called the L, a little change on the female self-catheterization. Here's that. We have the Lofric L. The Lofric L is our newest female-length catheter. It um, was launched in May of 2022, and I'll show you um, the steps to using Lofric L. So the first step is to lift this top to release the, the seal, the pressure, and then we'll twist to release the integrity seal, and then we'll separate the catheter, take the catheter out, and the container portion has some wetting solution in it. So that's important to know. Um, for this purpose, I'm, I'll keep the wetting solution in here. This container is recyclable, which is very nice. Um, there are two little buttons at the bottom. So you actually, you twist the buttons into the circle on the side. So it's a twist and click. So again, it's the bottom of the container that is twisting and clicking into the Lofric L. So it's in the shape of an L. Oh, already? I didn't want to go into that one right away, but I guess it did. Um, but I thought that was kind of a neat uh, take on, you know, anyone who's done self-catheterization instructions on females, you know, it's always a kind of a, a more difficult thing to do than for, for us guys who are lucky. Um, I thought that was just kind of a cool little subtle change to the catheter. And something else that is available, I think, from a lot of the companies, maybe Coloplast or Bard, a lot of these companies will have a, a, a lighted mirror, if you will, because for a female, they have to kind of not be able to visualize their, their urethral opening and try to put a catheter into that opening for self-catheterization. So if there's a mirror that they can use that is lit, right, kind of like a... Uh, I guess a lot of the YouTubers or video content creators, they have a ring light. Oh, yeah, so imagine yeah. a ring light mounted on a mirror that you can place down there and then it'll ma make it a lot easier for the female, for the woman to find that urethra opening. That's yeah. also available and often that is for free, but you can also find it on Amazon. Absolutely. All right, our next uh, was episode 43. Uh, another invention for ladies because uh, we've had external catheters for men, but now there's one that's available for females called the UriCap. Urine collection device. UriCap Female is a simple, comfortable, and quick-to-use device that enables effective urine management. The UriCap Female is assembled from the cap and the tube. Connect the cap to the tube. Connect the tube to a urine bag. Make sure they are firmly connected. Apply the lubricant around the edges of the device. Clean the vaginal area before applying the device. Hold the Uricap female with your dominant hand. Place the index finger in the longer, lower lip of the device. 
With your non-dominant hand, spread widely the inner and outer labia. Locate the top of the vaginal opening. The device is placed in the area above it. Attach the long or lower lip of the device to the vaginal opening. Using the free thumb, tip the cap upward to make full contact with the area around the urethra. Lightly push in and hold in place for five to 10 seconds. Close the inner and outer labia around the cap. Only then remove your dominant hand. Fasten the tubing to the securement device where the extension piece meets the drainage bag. Allow enough slack in the tube and secure to the inner thigh. Also, one of the things that we've been fortunate is, is to get a lot of the creators of these actual products into the your uh, owner's world to talk about their products. And in episode 45, the creator of the Cathware, Cather leg bag underwear joined us to talk about how he invented this and how it works. What I invented was Cathware, this medical underwear designed for this patient population. Cathware is a medical underwear that is washable, machine washable, and machine dryable. But the key features of it are it removes, Cathware removes the use of the Velcro straps. So now the patients no longer have to utilize the straps. They can put the pouch in a 600 or smaller pouch system here, which does not restrict the flow of the urine. It has a valve that opens up at the bottom to create easy access. So if you're wearing shorts, skirt, or a dress, you'll be able to just access the valve and empty the contents into a, into a collecting receptacle without having to remove the pouch. The X looking feature that you see is a catheter channel. Um, we've had a lot of uh, programs that have dealt with the newest technology for BPH and they've been super popular on the show. Um, I know besides healthcare workers, I think a lot of patients are looking for these. And uh, I thought I'd run through some of the ones that have really been popular, like the aqua ablation therapy. Um, so how does aqua ablation work? So it, it essentially uses high pressure water to um, resect the prostate. Think of it as almost like a water saw, uh, but it's done extremely precisely using uh, robotic technology. And so what, what do we mean by robotic technology? So first of all, there's real time uh, image guidance during the procedure. So you're going to have cystoscopic uh, real-time imaging as well as transrectal ultrasound real-time imaging um, to give you a kind of the multi-dimensional view of the treatment area while you're resecting the prostate. Um, this allows, you know, personalized treatment planning. We, you know, we use a software during this procedure where we map out exactly the contour that we want left behind of the prostatic fossa and what areas we want resected. And we can change that treatment plan based on the patient's importance towards sexual function, ejaculatory function, and, and symptom relief. So, and here you see the aqua beam kind of working and it kind of sweeps uh, high pressure water against the prostate, and you see a live cystoscopic view of this as well. Um, the other thing that we also talked about with uh, BPH was something called the opulum, which is a uh, technique with using a balloon. And so now enters Optilum BPH. So this is taking that technology that we had from the stricture device and applying it to the prostate. So it comes in a standard box, and what it's going in that box is going to be a couple components. 
One is something called the pre-dilation balloon. And number two is going to be the drug-coated balloon. And then, of course, there's going to be a pressure uh, gauge to actually increase the pressure by connecting it. So this will uh, become a little bit more clear in a moment. This is what the Optilum balloon looks like. So for those who are just listening, I'll describe it. It's essentially a double balloon. It looks like in the old days, there was actually some double balloon uh, type of Foley catheters. So it's a double balloon and it's inserted into the bladder and then it's pulled back. The furthest balloon is actually gonna sit in the bladder and the second more distal balloon is gonna sit in the prostate. And it's sort of shaped like a figure eight or two bubbles. And where those two balloons meet is where it's going to lock into the bladder neck. And so there were actually balloons designed for BPH called the Dow balloon in the late 1990s. And there was a lot of excitement and fanfare around these balloons. But the problem was that, number one, there was a lot of migration. They would slip forward into the bladder or slip back because they didn't lock into place. And two, they just didn't have durability because they kind of stretched the prostate but they didn't fundamentally change it. And of course, there was no drug coding to prevent the prostate from closing down again. In episode 61, not only do we take in balloon of prostate and water jet it, we can also take this wire called the ITIN device. So what is the ITIN procedure? So <clears throat> ITIN is a new minimally invasive therapy uh, that works by uh, with no energy delivered, no permanent foreign body. So essentially the device is implanted. We could see this over the marked areas of one device implantation. The device is placed inside the prosthetic urethra. Over the next five to seven days, the device expands, creating uh, in, uh, incisions at the 12 o'clock, five o'clock and seven o'clock position. And then in five to seven days, the device is completely removed, leaving nothing behind. <clears throat> so the device is essentially placed in the prosthetic urethra in a folded configuration and then just expands over five to seven days and then completely removed. So this is just cystoscopic views. So we can see example one where you've got this high bladder neck, right? You can see how when you're looking into the bladder from the prostatic urethra, you can see how there's no view directly into the bladder. And after removal, you can see how there's a clear channel going inside the bladder. Now, that's not a completely exhaustive research on all the different things we offer for BPH, but I thought those were some of the highlights. Now, this was an interesting episode 56 where I found, uh, heard about this thing called the Lumia prostate biopsy system from a SUNA nurse who had written in on the EuroConnect. <clears throat> I asked her to present on it, and that's actually how Lace got involved with the EuroNurse something we really liked. Um, for our nursing staff, it was also great because as you can see, uh, those come pre-labeled, of course, uh, depending on your practice and what samples you want to take, you know, your label might be different. Um, and in the back um, of, of those, you just put your patient information. So I do have here with me, um, and I would love to show you guys. So Usually your kits come in a lovely little box um, like this, and I have mine open already. Uh, when you open the box, you find yourself with these little Mylar bags. Um, of course, this one is open already, uh, but this is what you will be sending your sample back in. Um, with that right there, you find your board. It comes in this nice little plastic container here. So um, really minimal exposure to formalin as well. 
you go ahead and open the sky. And in there, you find your actual biopsy board. So you see here, uh, not only is this board labeled with the R for the right side, but it's also a different color than the left side and also a different color from the additional board um, that you can use. And again, on episode 59, we had the creator and inventor of this Elatone external pelvic floor therapy who came up with this device to treat her own problem when after having pregnancy, developed some incontinence, and this is what she came up with. So Elatone is the only non-intrusive treatment for bladder leaks anytime, anywhere. And I say non-intrusive in that not only is it physically external and non-vaginal, but it's non-intrusive on their time. They don't have to schedule time uh, to just sit, you know, and or, or be flat on their back for 20, 30 minutes. So it's composed of a device, a, a small controller. Um, I'll hold, uh, hold one up so you can see kind of how tiny and little it is, about the size of a matchbox, really. Uh, rechargeable and gel pads. And these gel pads are super thin, about this, you know, as thin as a paper. And let me just show how flexible it is. So it's flexible and comfortable. And these gel pads are um, reusable and then disposable. So we have Elatone for the stress incontinence and just this year, Elatone Urge for overactive bladder. Now to give a little bit more detail on this, uh, this gel pad has um, ad adhesive hydrogel and that's the conductive areas. That is um, essentially we're delivering electrical stimulation through the perennial tissues. And then most recently, episode 71, we had this device for an external catheter that could be used for both men and women. And this one kind of blew me away because it was one of the few I've ever seen that's reusable that could actually stay on for men. Most of them fall off. So here was that one. So again, uh, the true catheter we're going to show you, we have multiple catheters. We have modified the male catheter multiple times and we have a catheter that's bigger and then we have a catheter that's smaller from the males. And we have a female catheter as well, which uh, Christine has over here. This is the female catheter, uh, which again is a, a little different because it has, a, if you will, more of a shaft in there. And then we have a, um, a pediatric catheter, both pediatric female and a pediatric male catheter as well. And that's what in the first, this is the first, just as a, as a as somebody who spends a lot of time in pediatrics, the fact that we're able to have an external pediatric catheter is very exciting for us. When we look at this catheter, um, the, what, the there's several you can read. There's several components to it. It's it's it's. Um, but one of the things that's very interesting is that this catheter you can actually apply yourself. So you, we have people who are are putting this catheter. On. We have a CEO of an organization that uses this catheter every night. He applies it himself. And that is it for my tour through different new, exciting inventions that have come up and things that we've had on the show. Um, it's been a great year. It's been a, a wonderful year for me to try to learn about all these new things. I think it's just uh, I, I have this thirst for knowledge and I always enjoy learning more new things. So just think what's going to happen next year. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Do we have any questions or comments com coming in from the audience? 
Um, don't see any questions or comments yet, but while we're waiting, I was thinking of um, one of my many favorite Florence Nightingale quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's one that's just perfect for, for all this innovation and everyone creating everything in healthcare just to try to make it better for the patients. So this applies to more than nursing. This applies to the entire healthcare field. And that is uh, nursing is a progressive art such that to stand still is to go backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And this, the thing about urology that's always been fascinating for me is it's just such a fast momentum of change that you just can't sit back and say, okay, I, you know, I learned everything I need to know now. Yeah. It's amazing how many new inventions. I mean, even trying to guess what's going to be next is almost impossible. Yeah. I was just reflecting on that recently, how I put in ureteral stents in the operating room, how I perform TURPs now in the operating room. Yeah. It's just so different than when I was trained. Yeah. We have two comments that came through. We have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And always well done at your own nurse. Wow. Well, thanks for those compliments. Great. Well, I'm good with uh, being pretty close to done here. So I'd like to take a little time out here to talk about next week's show. Next week is going to be a look back at 2023 for Euronurse. As we reflect on the year 2023, a glance back at Euronurse.com reveals a dynamic and evolving platform dedicated to serving the urology nursing community. Throughout the year, Euronurse.com has been a reliable source of information, education, and community engagement for urology healthcare workers around the globe. Euronurse.com has facilitated a sense of connection and collaboration among urology nurses. The year 2023 has seen Euronurse.com continue to be a vital resource, reflecting its commitment to empowering urology healthcare workers and ultimately improving patient outcomes. Join us December 30th at 9 a.m. Central Time on Euronurse.com. All right. Well, we look forward to everybody joining us for that show. It should be fun to kind of look back at what's gone on in the past year in Euronurse. It's been wild. It's been quite a ride. And hey, you guys are really what makes this such a success. I can't uh, thank you enough for everything you've done on the show, giving your time every week to, to be a part of that expert audience, to talk to the experts who come on as our guest uh, experts. Um, have a very Merry Christmas, everyone. And Hope to see everybody again uh, next week. It will also be remote. I'm still in Florida, but uh, luckily I got good internet at this place. Excellent. Well, thank you all for watching and listening. Yep. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Have a great new year.